0: hello everybody and welcome to listen money matter the difference between an adventure and a debacle is your attitude my name is thomas and i'm here as always with my good friend andrew andrew how are you and what are you drinking this fine afternoon for you morning for me uh I, i've just i'm like
1: 13 minutes into the uh appropriate drinking time it's like five m- o'clock <laughs> yeah that's, that's right which <laughs> is, so it's 9 13 here a.m. Um, and uh, and I'm drinking, uh, Nashami or Nashamini Shamini Creek Brewing Co. It's Leon Russian Imperial Stout, and it's a uh, stout with marshmallow chocolate and graham crackers. So I shit my pants, clean myself up, bought it, and it's
0: delicious. So you're just drinking like Boy Scout dessert, basically. Beer, basically. I wish it was Nashami. It's like Shamwow beer, sold by Vince. I'd buy that I'm drinking water uh, out of a Starbucks water bottle Mm. if you happen to be curious about that yeah I had coffee this morning and uh, there's no coffee in the house so water it is that is all we have got Uh, Brandon sent in this week's catchphrase via email I don't have a last name but thank you Brandon this week's catchphrase was the difference between an adventure and a debacle is your attitude and if you guys have catchphrases you can send them to us over on Twitter We are at Money Matters Man, and we need more catchphrases for the show, so come on, man. Help us out.
1: By the way, I did have his last name, but I was protecting his identity because I'm Uh, sure he doesn't want to be associated. He would be fired if his boss knew he was
0: helping out the show. So, Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, today, uh, Dan Egan from Betterment, not Betterment. (laughs) Betterment is on the show again uh, I know Dan has been on the show before back before I was a co-host to talk about opportunity cost I believe Mm -hmm. I think yeah so today Dan's back on the show and we're going to dig into all the intricacies of tax loss harvesting which is something that Betterment offers and uh, can help you increase your investment returns so Dan how's it going
1: very
2: well. I kind of wonder like, what percentage of listeners drop off as soon as you say the word tax. <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: Oh, like, damn it! I hate tax.
0: We're right? actually talking about uh, Captain America Civil War on this episode. Yeah, that's what we're um, talking about. Not taxes. Don't worry. <laughs> so, we have talked about the fact that Betterment and certain other robo-advisors as well, and maybe even non-robo-advisors offer a service called Tax Loss Harvesting before, and um, I think we all we have said on this subject is that it can save you money on taxes or uh, basically increase your gains beyond that, I don't exactly understand how it works, and uh I know a lot of other people probably don't as well so can we just start off by like defining what the heck t l h is
2: yeah sure I, I would say let's uh let's actually take a step back even from that okay. um, so without a doubt, and actually i should I should come in starting off by saying. Uh, I am not a tax advisor, this is not personalized tax advice, you should not, you know, immediately run out and do anything based upon what I say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll speed um,
1: that up and make it really high-pitched. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Tax, uh,
2: license not valid in Hawaii TV. and Michigan. Uh,
0: <laughs> Known in the so, state of California to cause cancer. <laughs>
2: So um, taxes are, you know, like generally everybody's going to pay taxes at some point. Um, the vast majority of uh, U.S. citizens are going to pay tax just because of earned income, right? Like you get paid a salary um, whenever you get paid, as long as it's a sort of a 1040 or a W-2 type thing, you are going, uh, the, automatically your employer is going to withhold um, taxes to help pay taxes at the end of the year. And uh, much as there is earned income tax, which is what's you know what happens when you earn, just earn money from a salary or something, there's also investment tax. Uh, and investment tax is a little bit more varied. So the first part of it is investment income tax which gets charged on any income that your investment throws off. So that might be a coupon that a bond or a bond fund throws off, or a dividend that a stock uh, pays off. So both of those are, you know, you might just be passively holding um, a U.S. stock fund. It's probably going to be paying out a dividend yield of somewhere between 1% and 3% per year. um, Mm. And you will owe, uh, you know, income tax on that income.
0: And that doesn't include actual gains on the price of the stock you own. It's just dividends and kind of money that it shoots off and puts into your bank account directly. You got it. Right. Okay. Um,
2: and, you know, the, the government wants us, it's really kind of interesting, the government wants us to be a little bit more long-term investors. So when you have capital gains, so I bought something at 100, it has gone up to 120, I'm going to sell it at 120. Um, It has two different tax rates based upon how long I have held it for. If -hmm. I've held it for a less than one year, uh, so less than three hundred sixty-five days, I'm going to pay my income tax rate on that capital gain, um, which at the top end tends to be about a fifty percent income tax rate. Uh, So, you know, I bought it a hundred; it's worth one hundred and twenty. I'm going to sell it. I made a twenty dollars gain. Tax is going to be ten percent. So that cuts my 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 return from twenty dollars down to ten dollars.
0: Wait, fifty percent, not ten percent, right? Yeah, fifty percent. Okay. Um, okay, so the- if you hold something for less than a year, whatever your income is, you pay the top whatever bracket you're in on that income. It's no, as if you earned it, basically.
2: It's as, it's as if it's um, you know ordinary earned income. Uh, okay. So it's not. Uh, it, it varies by income. So if you're in a twenty percent income tax bracket, um, that would be twenty percent. Um, Oh. I just picked 50% as an upper bound. It's effectively like, you know, the government kind of looks at it and says, well, this was kind of like short-term trading activity. It seems like you're trying to do this as if it's your job, so we're going to tax it like it's ordinary income, as opposed okay. to you are investing, uh, which is greater than a year, in which case we're going to give you a tax break on it.
1: Interesting. So that makes sense. What's the cutoff for short-term versus long-term?
2: It is 365 days. Um, and so to be clear, okay. you know, that's that's it's not a calendar thing. You can buy it on July 1st and come July 2nd of the following year, that specific set of shares has turned into uh, a long-term set of lots rather than a short-term set of lots.
0: Okay. So I have heard, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I read somewhere that the capital gains tax rate is 15%?
2: That's what it is for the vast majority of us. Actually, it does increase a little bit. I believe it goes up to 20% uh, okay. for very high income earners. And then if you're a super duper high income earner, generally I believe it's around greater than $400,000 or maybe even greater than $500,000 per year. Mm-hmm. There's also a 3.8% Medicare surcharge that is added on. Um, okay. So you know, if we say at the very top end, um, we're looking at a 50% um, short-term capital gain tax rate, and a 24% long-term capital gain rate, that's about right for uh, in terms of the ratio for most people. Generally, okay. your capital gains rate is going to be somewhere around, um, your, your long-term capital gains rate is going to be about half whatever your income tax rate is. But again, okay. it really depends on your earned income, your tax bracket, etc. So I can't make any generalizations.
0: Yeah. So a couple quick questions there. As a consequence of the capital gains rate being at 15%, say you are the really odd, weird person who falls into like the tax rate of 10% or or 15%, like you only make 35K a year or something. Your capital gains tax rate would be the same as your short term gains rate, correct?
2: There's actually, that is actually a very uh, unusual edge case, but it is true. There is a 0% capital gains tax bracket, uh, specifically for long-term capital gains. Again, not short-term, just long-term capital gains, Mm -hmm. where if you earn a very low amount of earned income, um, you can realize... capital gains and not pay any tax on them as long as they're long-term. There's a limit to that. Uh, Effectively, as you start realizing long-term capital gains, it starts counting towards your income. So realizing Mm -hmm. those capital gains can cause your income tax bracket to bump up one. So you have to be very careful about it. But this does allow for something that's called tax gain harvesting, which is kind of like the yang to the yin of tax loss harvesting, where you are, um, I'm, j- I'm getting ahead of myself here, but where you're doing the opposite, you're resetting the cost of your tax lots higher in order mm-hmm. to avoid tax in the future.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Is that based on the, uh, your income the year you take it out? Correct. Uh, so, so if you wanted to, you could live like a pauper and really only take out a little bit every year and pay no tax on it correct, is correct? Uh, this
2: is you know there's i think there's a number of movements uh you know mr money mustache and like extreme frugality or something mm-hmm. that have noted this kind of like lower bound condition where um as long as you stay in a very low income, an earned income tax bracket uh you can actually have a higher a pretty high after tax income compared to if you start paying taxes uh okay. this is also helpful if you've been working for many years and you decide to take a year off um, mm-hmm. and you go and live in Vietnam, where your cost of living is very low. Your U.S. earned income is, you know, basically zero. Um, you could then use that year to realize to reset the cost basis of your investments higher and higher. Uh, that means, you know, down the line, whenever you retire, you're going to owe less tax in the future. And that's what a lot of this tax management stuff is about. Um, it's about kind of shifting when you pay taxes from now to the future, or reducing na taxes now or taxes
0: in the future. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. So, and then the one other thing I was looking at the tax brackets here and the the chart that I'm looking at only says 39.6% is the highest bracket. Is there a 50% bracket that's like super high that they just left off or?
1: Uh, It's
2: that if you add in state and city tax.
0: Oh, okay. So, oh, so your. If you have a short-term, oh, okay, so your short-term gains are taxed all across the board, basically. Yep. Um, Municipal, If you state are lucky enough
2: to better. live in New York or California, our two most populous states, um, those are the places that both also have the highest inc- uh, state income tax uh, mm. rates. And I live in New York City. Um, I also pay city tax.
0: Okay. Wow. Man. I was looking at um, the place I want to move next year is uh, Colorado and their state tax is just so much lower than what I mm-hmm. currently pay. So I'm pretty stoked about saving money there. So I guess if I have any short term gains, which I probably won't, but if it happens, I will save a little bit on the move there. So um, so we kind of know about what capital gains is now. We kind of know it's like short term, long term differentiated. What exactly is tax loss harvesting and how does that factor into this?
2: Sure. So. Tax loss harvesting, um, I'll go through the mechanics of it first, and then we'll go over how it actually works for you, how it benefits uh, most customers. Mm -hmm. So, tax loss harvesting, if let's say that I buy into a stock at $100, and over the course of the first six months, it drops down to $70. So I have a $30 loss in that stock. Um, I can sell out of that stock, let's say it's uh, Apple, um, and I buy into something that seems relatively similar to me. Maybe I buy into Microsoft. Um, so I still have this kind of like large cap um, stock exposure, but I have this $30 loss. Come tax time, when I'm doing my taxes, I can go to the IRS and I say, you know, you see that I earned uh $100,000 a year. However, I had this $30 loss uh, in my investment accounts. So you need to reduce my taxable income by the amount of this loss. Okay. So that, um, number one, you know, if, it, if I just saved $30, if I am in a, let's say a 30% tax bracket, um, I just saved $9 in taxes. So to, to be clear,
1: income. you save okay. taxes on your salary, your earned income, not only like tax gain, Taxes, I guess. Right.
2: So, and this is where, you know, this is where it, it would be great if podcasts had whiteboards. Um, so, <laughs> I actually the way, I have notes
0: here. We can put them in the show notes if we want.
2: Genius. Uh, the way this works is that there's a very specific netting procedure that the IRS wants you to use.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: Number one, first step, step number one, is we net our short-term gains and short-term losses. So if I had some short-term gains, I could offset them using short-term losses. Uh, step two, I do the same thing with long-term gains and long-term losses. I say, okay, I have $30 worth of long-term uh, losses and $15 worth of long-term gains. My net long-term position is $15 worth of long-term losses. I then-
1: oh, wait, And to, to be clear, Dan, this is what Betterman's doing behind the scenes. So, no, uh, this is what you have to do at the end of the year. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, I got you. When okay. you are
1: reporting your taxes. This is how the IRS
2: says that you have to go through this process of, of netting taxes. Okay. Um, then, step three is that you net, you offset your short term gains and long term gains. So, if I had $10 worth of short term gains and $15 worth of long term losses, I would end up with a net of $5 worth of long term losses. Only once you've gone through all of those steps are you able to use that $5 to offset your ordinary income, your salary. And there's a cap. Mm. You can only uh, offset up to $3,000 worth of ordinary income. However, that ordinary income offset is probably, um, you know, unless you have a lot of short-term capital gains, uh, is going to be the most valuable use of those tax offsets because it's generally your highest tax
0: rate. Mm. So if you did this... And let's say it was a little higher. let's say you had like a thousand dollars in Apple instead of a hundred, and you ended up with you know a, let's say you ended up with a thousand dollar loss yep um and there was no gains to offset. say you're like taxed at twenty eight percent or something, like you're saving two hundred and eighty bucks, and then That's you can just it. put that right back into your investments, so it's like you're getting two hundred and eighty three dollars to put into your investments, right? You got
2: it. Is that correct? Now, you, Absolutely. Um, so now we're starting to get into how this benefits the investor. Okay. So um, there's um, kind of four or five main pillars of how tax loss harvesting helps people. Mm-hmm. Uh, tax deferral, tax rate arbitrage, um, permanent tax avoidance, and inflation. And I'm going to go through all of these because obviously that was just a bunch of jargon. Um, but we're getting <laughs> sort of into that. So. When we, The first thing that we're doing, so we realize this loss in Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, we use that $1,000 to say that we've earned less this year. So we're going to reduce our tax at an ordinary income tax rate. Um, we can't forget about that $1,000. At some point in the future, we're going to owe tax on that $1,000. That However, we lost? Uh, well, so we've, you have to think about it in terms of, you've embedded a future gain, right? So the idea is that like, we buy Microsoft, Microsoft goes up, um, and we, because we kind of bought low, um, it means that the gain to the IRS in the future will be bigger, right? So for the sake okay. of it, let's imagine that we bought the same thing again, right? Like, um, oh, Okay, so if I buy at
0: 9,000 today and it gets up to 20,000, it's as if we were buying at 10,000 originally, but now it's just 9,000 more or 1,000 more.
1: Exactly. Okay. I guess the The idea is is like you're going to get all these losses early, but it'll go, the stock's going to always go up type. Okay. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, like you're, you're kind of like harvesting short-term losses as they happen. And that means that you're kind of embedding a little bit larger gain in your portfolio for when you liquidate it in the future. The Mm -hmm. key is that when you do that in the future, you're going to be liquidating at a long-term capital gain rate. So, and money's worth less too. 40%, but, um, you're going to pay more tax at
0: 15%. Okay. And then so uh, the money you're paying in taxes like 20, 30 down years down the road is going to be worth you got whatever it. less due to inflation as well. So, so, you, so you've
2: already started clicking through it. So number one, we're arbitraging okay. the tax rates. Number two, mm-hmm. because we're deferring taxes in the future, it means that we can keep more invested today or put more into the portfolio with the money that we didn't have to pay in tax. Right. Um, if at some point in the future we decide that we want to give some money to charity, we can take those specific shares that have the largest embedded gain, and actually, mm-hmm. it's more efficient to give those than to give cash to the charity. Um, you okay. get a, well, you know, a charitable deduction, and you don't have to pay the tax. So that's the the permanent tax avoidance aspect of it. Is that if you're a charitable person, mm-hmm. uh, there's ways to get around that. Does Betterment course- allow
1: you to do that, like transfer sections of your portfolio and and just kind of like not take a tax hit?
2: I'm going to say not quite yet, but, but. not quite yet. Um, and then the, the final thing is, uh, as you were alluding to, you know, I, I, I sort of embed this $1,000 gain into my portfolio, um, and then 30 years from now I realize it the tax I'm going to owe on that is going to be worth like a cup of coffee at that point in time. So okay. this is one of the only cases I'm aware of where inflation works for the investor because yep. what it is doing is it is eroding the true value of the tax you're going to have to pay.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I guess infl- the only other one I can think of is inflation would technically help you if you were shorting stock, right?
2: Ooh. Yeah, generally you don't do that for long periods of time. <laughs>
0: That's true. If you, I mean, if you were shorting for a long period of time in some weird fantasy situation, that would. I'm not saying you should short stock because of that, because shorting is laden with pitfalls, but I'm just kind Of just a spitballing yeah, here, no, was, uh, that would uh, yeah. be the other solution or other situation where it would help you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read through like a very, very easy example of this over on Bogleheads before um going into this episode, just so I was kind of familiar with how it worked. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get to the rest of the article, but uh, from the length of the page, it implies there's a lot of uh, technicalities and and things that you need to know. Um, That's and one funny. of these things is like there's such a thing as a wash sale. Correct. So what exactly is a wash sale?
2: So a wash sale uh, is basically a, a, a way of saying, hey, you shouldn't be tax-loss harvesting without taking on some risk. So okay. uh, say on, let's say, March 1st, I tax-loss ha- harvest out of an ETF. Mm-hmm. Um, what I actually have to do is look 30 days on either side of that event. So I have to look back 30 days to say, Hmm. Did I buy that ETF in the past thirty days at like a different price point? If so, I have to reset the cost basis uh, to that. It's a little bit like you can't tax loss harvest when you've just um, bought an additional share of something. Okay. And the other one is more more understandable. Perhaps I should have done the other one first. Is afterwards. So if I sell out of an ETF, um, realize a loss, and then buy it back the same day, the IRS isn't that stupid. Um, the IRS is going to go. Wait a second. You actually maintained your exposure um, to this thing over the period of time, so that washes when you purchased it. It washes. It washes mm-hmm. away the loss uh, of what you of the loss you realized recently. So you okay. have to avoid wash sales for a grand total of sixty days: thirty days gotcha. before the tax loss harvest and thirty days after the tax loss harvest. And That's especially if you're kind of doing this, you know, you have a small portfolio, you're just starting out. Um, if the way you handled this was that you just stayed out of the stock for that period, it can introduce some really significant tracking error to your performance. And it means that, you know, like, you know, emerging markets go down, you tax loss harvest out of it, emerging markets, you know, climb right back up, but you were out of it for those 30 days. And you mm-hmm. don't want to do that. So a key thing is finding sort of a an alternative security that is going to roughly maintain your exposure without being exactly the same thing.
0: I think somebody was telling me about this uh, either on a previous episode or maybe it was my accountant saying like you picked like the three best funds in the category and you would sell uh, the best one when it loses and then you would immediately buy the second best one. Is that kind of how it works? That's how it works. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, and I guess the wash sale thing makes sense. Otherwise, I would imagine like big companies would be just coding computer programs to immediately sell everything the moment it loses money to harvest taxes like once a second. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it makes sense. Um, it says there's also like a issue with qualified dividends. Like if you, um, if you hold something for less than that 60 day period, uh, then your dividends aren't qualified. Now what exactly is a qualified dividend? Is there like an unqualified one?
2: Um, yeah. Uh, So, Unqualified dividends are what I would consider normal dividends, where, as we said, mm-hmm. it's income, um, you're going to pay an ordinary income tax rate on it. Qualified okay. dividends uh, are, they basically get preferential tax treatment, I believe, usually because they're US based companies of some sort. Um, dividends, as long as you've held the stock for a reasonable period of time, i.e., 60 days, um, you get a preferential tax treatment. So that you can't kind of like come in the day before it pays a dividend, get a dividend. Um, get a long-term capital gain treatment on that dividend and then sell right back out of it. Um, this is something that effectively makes us prefer U.S. dividends over international dividends, for example. Okay.
0: So are you um, saying a qualified dividend actually gets you the long-term rate even if you hold it for less than a year?
2: Correct, it, but it's just a oh. dividend.
0: Yep. Just for the dividends. Okay, so it's not it's not an actual gain, but basically you're you're saving potentially 10% if you're in the normal tax bracket. Uh, by getting a qualified one.
2: In a a very similar fashion, it's also true for municipal bonds. Uh, So municipal bonds are tax-exempt. Even better than being qualified is being tax-exempt. You simply don't pay any federal tax on that coupon coming off of municipal bonds. Um, There are issues around wash sales and holding it long enough with municipal bonds in order to get the tax-exempt status.
0: Gotcha, okay. So if people are using Betterment... Or any sort of automated solution, mm-hmm. they aren't doing this on their taxes at the end of the year, are they? Um, like you guys are kind of doing the stuff on Correct. the back end automatically. How exactly so does that work?
2: Any any um, you know the the custodying broker, uh, which is the person who kind of like does the record keeping and the administration on your account to figure out what was the cost basis of the lot sold. Was there a wash sale? Um, Mm -hmm. that broker is responsible for doing that. So uh, when your money is at Betterment at the end of the year, when we issue your tax forms, we are going to have done all of the calculations about wash sales, about qualifying and non-qualifying dividends. That is part of our required role as a broker-dealer, as the custodying broker-dealer.
0: Okay, so the customer is not going to get like a huge packet of every single tax loss trade and you have to give that to your accountant and everything? So it's kind of done did, for them.
2: Um, it's also required by us to give you that kind of a packet. However, uh-huh. they do have summaries. Uh, and the summaries okay. are what really the IRS is going to be interested in is, um, you know, did you did you do all of these washes? What are the net of washes losses, etc. cetera? Right. So, now, give us the figures. Now,
1: wait, if hold, you, hold up one sec. Because uh, if you guys do, you guys handle like the wash sale and stuff like that. But at the beginning of the episode, you're explaining how um, you could, you know, counteract against short-term investment gains or long-term or, or then your own earned income. Does Mm -hmm. that come through in what Betterment would give us or does, do we have to do that or does our accountant have to do that? Good point.
2: So if Betterment is your only investment provider, then you're fine because we will have managed and calculated all of the wash sales and done all the offsets ourselves internal to our system. If you've got like a other trading account on the side where you've been doing some other stuff, um, you would need an accountant or an accounting program to manage all of the netting. Because, you know, there's looking at just Betterment's net losses and gains. You would have to include the other accounts net losses and gains as well.
1: But if I didn't own any of the things that Betterman invests in, any of the ETFs, then it would be fine. Then, Like if I only bought Apple and you guys don't buy Apple, it's, it's a non-issue. So
2: uh, it's a non-issue from a wash sale point of view because we wouldn't be buying and selling identical things, uh, you would still need to do the correct netting. Mm -hmm. So, For example, and this is one of the cases where um, tax loss servicing can be useful if you also have like a play account or a trading account, Um, let's say through the course of the year you are racking up a lot of short-term capital gains because you're a trading genius, hypothetically. Um, When it comes time to do taxes, you're going to look at your tax forms. The ones from Betterment are going to have a large number of short-term capital losses you can use those short-term capital losses within Betterment to offset the short-term capital gains in your trading account. So the tax netting still needs to be done at your kind of household or your tax filing level across all of your different accounts. But, um, you know, Betterment will do all of the correct netting for all of the assets that it's aware of on our system.
1: So on your site, um, and I think, like, you know, between you guys, Wealthfront, and all the other advisors, somewhere between, like, 1% and 3% annual gains from tax loss harvesting is like uh, is that um, just uh, I I guess I'm kind of confused because you guys are netting it all out but if I held a a Betterment account and I had losses Mm -hmm. and I had another account um, that I used to offset those losses um, am I getting my one to three percent or is this only within Betterment's purchases and sales
2: great great point so the answer is neither account is gonna directly show this change in performance right? the change in performance comes from reducing your tax bill it doesn't it doesn't automatically make your balance go up it's not like there's a little line at the end of the year that says you know tax alpha that you're gonna get because the way it works is that complicated netting procedure um, and especially that it offsets your ordinary income so when we do our assessments of how valuable it is we're kind of saying listen Betterment is responsible for doing tax efficient portfolio management. Whenever we incur or we have to pay taxes because of what's going on in the portfolio, that's on us, right? Like when you get dividends, if we realize short term or long term capital gains, um, on January 2nd, we're like, uh, we have to pay for that, and the money comes out of our hypothetical portfolio. On the other hand, when we turn on tax loss harvesting, we're actively realizing these losses through the year. At the end, on January 2nd, we say, hey, look, we have. $2,000 worth of tax offsets to use at our ordinary income tax rate, that's going to be worth $1,000. That's a net inflow of cash into the account because of the tax-efficient services we provide. So, you know, if you look at um, how we calculated it, we used something called an after-tax IRR, internal rate of return, which is used to look at these sorts of phenomena where it's about how and why you add cash into a portfolio or take it out. And -hmm. that's where you see the alpha. It's kind of like how much the portfolio would have grown by because of the tax management, especially the avoiding of ordinary income, which means that you can keep more money in your portfolio or even add money to your portfolio due to the fact that your taxes were lower.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So I have a few questions that are rattling around in my head right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that uh, we kind of got away from the whole like, the paperwork you have to deal with at home due to all these losses and gains. Mm -hmm. Is there going to be an increase in the amount of work your accountant has to do? And thus the amount you have to pay your accountant, that's going to offset the value of this.
2: Good question. So really depends. Um, on your situation. So I think, again, if Betterment is your sole investment manager, it's mm-hmm. relatively straightforward because we will have taken care of most of the netting. It okay. might still be that you pay an accountant um, and he says, wow, like maybe I should check these wash sales myself, um, and he charges you more for that. It's, I don't believe it's um, necessary, but it's definitely something that they can do. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you do have um, many different accounts, because of the fact that wash sales and netting need to happen across your entire household or tax entity that mm-hmm. may end up costing more because he needs to double check everything that, you know, everything was done right at a, a top level. Okay. Um, so th- there's that element to it. Um, one of the things that um, I've seen is that when you do your taxes online using, I don't know, like TurboTax or H&R Block, um, when you do get to like a specific number of lines, say 80 lines of transactions, they want to get paid a little more. Um, yeah. And so they increase the cost of doing your taxes for you because of that. And I want to um, say man.
1: I've seen one of these reports. It may have hypothetically been from me. I, I don't know, <laughs> but um, I have seen one of these and it's yep. like a ridiculously large document that mm-hmm. I believe like no human would ever have any interest in dealing with.
2: Definitely. This is something we should leave to computers. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's, okay. it's a little bit, you know, this is exactly what computers are made for and what they do, right? Like, mm-hmm. If you want to add a bunch of numbers, if you want to add 3,000 numbers together, computers are really pretty good at that. Um, yeah. So I think it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit of a, a concerning issue if the way, you know, imagine if Google said, hey, listen, you've had like 200 searches so far this month, now you need to start paying for them. Um, that's not really the way technology should work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not kind of like, a cost per number of lines, uh, on your tax form.
0: Right. Okay. So just so people are aware, I mean, I feel like if it's the beginning investor and they decide to go with you guys, um, it's not going to be a huge deal, but if you're like me, you're like Andrew and you're like, I've got, you know, multiple accounts open in like Vanguard, I've got fidelity or something. And I'm also going to have Betterman on the side, then there could be a potential additional cost. With your accountant at the end of the year. Dude, to that
1: point, I think like maybe me and you're even further in edge case because we have the businesses. But if if it's just you personally, when before List of Money Matters, uh, when I did my taxes through TurboTax, it actually links directly to Betterment. I mean, hypothetically, if I did my taxes and I was using Betterment, (sighs) it would pull it all in and it (laughs) kind of just like does it automatically.
0: Oh, okay. Mm. All right. I have a, a human accountant now. So, same. I can't like plug his brain into Betterment. <clears throat> you know, that's like a feature that's coming down the road, though. I'm guessing, like the ability to install like a Matrix jack in the back of your accountant's head. That's the future. That's yeah. That's what's coming down the pipeline. Definitely. <laughs> 2017 update for <from> Betterment. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask about. Uh, I had a thought about the wash sales. It's like a 31 day period on either side. What happens when you have automatic reinvestment of dividends? Does that reset the counter for the wash sales?
2: Nope. Uh, well, at least if you're using Betterment, we're gonna deal with that automatically um, okay. by looking at it and saying, if we put this into um, the original ticker, it's gonna cause a wash sale, so why don't we just deposit it into the secondary ticker as well?
0: Oh, so you're, so a stock A gives you a dividend, and then you invest that into stock B. You got it. Pretty much, or fund yep. B. So you can Get realize the, uh, the losses on stock A. So,
1: okay. Okay. Um, I uh, really like the the graphs, you know, on the TLH page on Betterman, and it shows, you know, gains, uh, you know, one to three percent, and blah blah blah. And it's all great. But I figured, uh, well, I figured I know there are a bunch of naysayers in the audience, and definitely on the internet. And so I spent like a lot of time, kind of like culling all of the nays.
2: Ooh,
1: cage fight. Cage fight. Yeah. So so <laughs> I'm, I want to put you in the hot seat. I have like some. Uh, things that people say about TLH and I want you to maybe tell us what you think.
2: Excellent. Um
1: so one they say on your website that when you show I think I think on the website it says like 1.7 or something percent Zero, 0. 0.7 0. 0.7 in in the specified time frame they said that there's a bias in the time frame that you guys chose. I think you chose like 2000 to 2013 or something like mm-hmm.
2: that. Yep. Um you know I I wish there was. The fact is that that's how far back we can get data that we kind of trust to be a reasonable proxy of the portfolio. Um, You know, the further back you go in time, the sort of scarcer, like, good daily returns data is – To be able to use. And um, for the funds that we use, you have to keep in mind we use ETFs. ETFs started being used, I think the first one came out in either 1993 or 1996. It's been a slow growth. So, in order to figure out funds that are good proxies for the actual ETFs we use, we needed to find indices or mutual funds that went back that far that had daily returns data, because Betterman is tax loss harvesting at a a daily level. for some reason, two thousand is when i don 't know um, maybe that 's when the internet really started or when data really started being recorded better, but that 's when we have high quality data going back to that we felt comfortable that we could do a back test and would be representative of the outcome. Uh, I think what most people are saying is like this kind of d- does this maximize the apparent deferral value because of the fact that there's a loss in the beginning, uh, and then you have many, many years of having deferred that loss, and then you liquidate it in the end. To um, just I say, that it's, that's definitely true. Um, it's definitely true that the like the loss happening up front is most helpful. Uh, on the other hand, that's kind of true for all of us. Um, like if you're saving on a regular basis, you're constantly putting new money in. This is going to be constantly working to realize those losses as they come through. So um, one of the key things that um, we did with that back test was have somebody depositing um, a reasonable amount on a biweekly basis, and that's what really drives the vast majority of the tax loss harvest. Because you have to remember, so we, Fresh we started in thousands.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, okay. we started in two thousand. There's a drawdown in two thousand and one. Then the you know the portfolio is just growing literally from like two thousand and two straight through to two thousand and eight. So, in an upward market, there's only very short term periods where you can tax loss harvest when there's a little local dip uh, before it's going to be permanently in a capital gain. So I think that you know on on the on the size of like how misleading is this, it's probably not very misleading. It's not kind of the biggest issue um that I would have with how we value it.
1: And, and just on kind of what you said, where you assume they were bi-weekly contributing. So I guess it's mm-hmm. on average when people would get their paychecks, if they have like Correct. a steady job, do you, would you say that, um, if you, you know, dollar cost average and you're, you're contributing on a consistent basis, tax loss harvesting is always more effective.
2: Uh, I would def- I, I can't say always, but I can say it definitely gives you more opportunities to tax loss harvest. Um, so this is one of the fundamental phenomena about, ta- about investing markets and stock markets is that generally lo- losses are short term. Hmm. So uh, they're kind of ephemeral, right? And if you want to be actively tax loss harvesting, having lots of price entry points where you've been saving on a regular basis to capture those short little downturns, um, regularly saving is going to definitely give you a greater opportunity to do that.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, so I'm looking at digging into the performance of the returns calculation page on that. We, and one of the things says, unless otherwise specified, these estimates do not factor in any additional taxes that might be owed on the eventual liquidation of some or all of the portfolio. Does that mean that it's not taking into, does that mean it's basically just saying this is the return before you would take any money out of your account? Uh,
2: so if we go down, um, actually let's go up to the top and there's a table of contents along the right hand side. And then there is a TLH plus results. So uh, we actually wanted to make sure that we included liquidation costs in our uh, assessment of how much tax alpha it was generating. Mm -hmm. So the first graph that I'm looking at in that section says tax alpha for an investor earning $100,000 from 2000 to 2013 uh, with no TLH or with TLH on. And it has a full liquidation uh, scenario there that is 62 basis points, so 0.62% higher. Even if you fully liquidate your portfolio, you have to pay taxes on all of those embedded gains at the end of that.
0: Okay.
1: Hmm. I, I have one more um, detractor thought, and, and I, I think this one was kind of interesting. So um, they said the actual gains from loss harvesting may not be economically significant, or there may even be, or they may even be negative. Therefore, we recommend advisors to harvest only the largest and most obvious losses at year end by employing a switchback strategy, which I have no idea what it is, mm. and, and only if the gains from harvesting can be significantly offset the opportunity cost of switching. Just, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> so, taking a step back, Um, a while ago, so I used to have to wear glasses, right. Mm -hmm. Um, which meant that, you know, like I would wake up in the middle of the night and go and stub my toe on the way to the bathroom or when I wanted to go and swim in the ocean, I would need to like, I don't know, wear goggles or watch out for my contact lenses and so on. So probably about like 10 or 12 years ago now, I saved up money and I went and I got my eyeballs lasered. Um, which is, I hope, as close to torture as I ever actually come. <laughs> um, and what that involves is you go in, they take like a reading of your eye, of the curvature of your eye, the lens where it's deformed. Um, and then they, you know, basically laser your the curvature of your eyeball. And your eyes don't stand still. They're constantly like flicking around from one place to the other. So um, the way the laser works is that it puts out um, – Pulses of laser in the millisecond range. Uh, when I went in, he the doctor was actually able to tell me um, we need 18 seconds of burn on your left eye and 22 seconds of burn on your right eye. But the actual thing probably took a grand total of 10 minutes. Um, so think about this: this is um, we need to effectively put out a you know 12 or 22 millisecond burst of laser in a very precise angle to fix the curvature of your eye. Mm-hmm. No human being can do that. It is simply not possible. You would not ever have LASIK done by a human being.
1: <laughs> You'd be blind, basically. Oh, yeah.
2: So, this is one of those cases where it's a little bit like, you know, um, you know, how, I don't know, how does a dinosaur live out an ice age? Well, they don't, they die off. Um, the way that we do tax loss harvesting leverages the fact that it's an algorithm that's constantly on that loves doing complex mathematical calculations where there's no cost to tax loss harvesting those small things. Mm. If you're an advisor, you have to pay attention to it. You have to be constantly looking at it. We can run tax loss harvesting for an account multiple times per day in case that day happens to have been particularly volatile. Mm. So, mm. you know, there are things that like, you know just aren't physically possible for a human being to do that technology can do and when you open that door it means that you're able to start thinking about um, how efficiently you do them how cost effective they are so the first element is like we've, we've removed that barrier now we can operate in a near frictionless tax loss harvesting environment so yes like I would say if you were an advisor you shouldn't try and do what we do but that's why we wrote algorithms to do it um, the second part of it is this kind of odd thing which is called a switchback strategy so okay. um, once you've tax loss harvested, you know you go from um, ETF A into ETF B. Um, the general idea is that, well, you know, like you thought ETFA was better for some reason. Mm-hmm. So right. um, after you've tax loss harvested and after the thirty days have passed, you can switch back from ETF B into ETF A. Right and. For context, I, I looked up um, the difference in expense ratio between ETF A and ETF B for our U.S. total market stock funds, and it's a difference of one basis point, so zero point zero one percent per year. Okay. So on a hundred dollars uh, invested in um, ETF B, you literally pay one penny more per year to be in that fund compared to uh, the the original version of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's nice. Maybe you do want to be in it. However, um, there are two elements that should put kind of put a break on that. The first one is that if ETF B is in a gain, it's going to be in a short-term capital gain, which again is that highest rate of tax that you can possibly have. So, if you let's say you tax-loss harvest out of A into B and you bank a one-thousand-dollar loss, mm-hmm. um, then because things often go up after they go down, you switch back from B into A. Now. Because of the fact that that gain from B into A is going to be a short-term capital gain, you're going to owe twice the tax rate on it. So switchbacks expose you to a higher propensity for short-term capital gains, which yeah. actually reduce the effectiveness of tax loss harvesting. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that just any time you transact in financial markets, there's a little bit of bid-ask spread. It's like paying a dollar to go over a toll. So um, you generally want to minimize that toll. So I'd say that um, you actually have to balance off that issue of switchbacks and so on against the relative difference in expense ratios and in costs by being in the two different funds. Betterment focuses on picking very low-cost funds, even for our secondaries. Um, And as a result, the difference, like the, the value of switching back is extremely low.
0: Huh. So, how often does it happen that this switchback can combine with a gain off of ETFB to just completely wash out a tax loss harvesting? Well, I mean, have you guys it, tried to code uh, that out of the system?
2: So we actually have that in our white paper. Obviously, the exact um, you know number is going to vary based upon hurdles and triggers and exactly what the key parameters are of um, the strategy. When we did it, we actually looked at the methodology that was public um, on a firm who does tax-loss harvesting and uses a 30-day switchback. And so we were able to directly um, mimic their strategy because they were that forthcoming about it. We Mm -hmm. found that the amount of tax offsets that we are able to get um, is roughly twice that compared to a strategy with a switchback. So the okay. switchback strategy um, had 0.95% um, per year mm-hmm. in tax offsets. A non-switchback strategy had 1.94%, so about double.
0: Interesting. Okay. So basically, it's better to just leave the money out of the market for the wash sale period and then put it back in later.
2: Uh, no, correct? so again, it's a... Uh, or did that's I you um, so you go immediately. You sell ETFA and you buy ETFB. That's and the so switchback, right? In the no, that's the original tax
0: Oh, loss. you just leave it in ETFB though. Yep. You don't switch it back into ETFA. There,
2: there is a there is a scenario where we switch it back into ETFA, and mm-hmm. that's if we can tax loss harvest ETFB.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Interesting.
1: So okay, uh, uh, let let's imagine that um, I'm listening to his podcast, and I'm like, "All right, Dan." You've completely numbed my mind with tax <laughs> things, and I'm going to put my life savings of $5,000 in Betterment because this sounds really awesome, and I hopefully maybe understand it. Now, the thing is, you guys are investing in Vanguard funds that cost blah, 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 like 0.05%, but when I put my 5000 in Betterment, it's gonna, I'm going to get charged the Betterment fee of 0.25%. <laughs> Will something like tax loss harvesting... Uh, be worth the cost of paying for Betterment?
2: So it really depends on the specific circumstances and in the market environment that happens when you start doing that. Um, So over that 13-year period that we were able to study, the average after-tax alpha derived from it was 0.77% for a moderate-rate taxpayer, who had a very typical savings schedule, bi weekly deposits, et cetera. So for that kind of typical setting, we were able to say over that time period, yes, you would have ended up with what is that, fifty-two basis points of tax alpha after our cost had been deducted. Um, and you know, this gets into the kind of like I don't know, like, do you guys cut your own hair?
0: No. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. I have not paid a dime for any hair-related thing for years.
1: I mean, I don't cut my hair, but I also don't pay for a haircut.
0: There we go. Does Laura so, do it? Yes. Oh, there we go. Oh, Basically, on
2: that. I've been telling my wife I wanted to cut my hair for years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Dude, this just is something that, like, buzzer all around.
2: Theoretically, I could do myself. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Odds are pretty good that somebody who's professional is going to do it better, and it's going to be pretty cheap. Um, so for context, I pay and granted I live in New York city, I pay more every month to get my haircut than I pay for my Betterment account. Mm. So there's a little bit of like, if you're really that kind of like cost conscious, maybe you should think about doing things like cutting your own hair or changing the oil on your car yourself, doing all of these sort of like extreme frugality, mustachianism type things anyway. Um, because Betterment's pretty darn cheap. Um, and it is... You know, if, if you want to say the only value that we have is tax loss harvesting, it seems like there's a, a pretty good value proposition there. But we also mean that you don't have to do any work around wash sales or tax loss harvesting or cash flows or automatic savings or figuring out how much you have to save for your goals. We do all of this automatically for you.
0: Okay, Dang. I like what you guys do. Uh, I do want to say I think that's kind of like setting up a false dichotomy a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could you could make the same comparisons like, oh well. If you're concerned about buying expensive marinara sauce versus cheap marinara sauce, you should just stop buying Starbucks in the morning instead. So, like, I'm not sure that's, like, a convincing argument. Um, the more convincing argument is, can I get more value and uh, is is my time and my stress savings worth using mm-hmm. a tool like that has a little bit more expensive uh, rate on it?
2: Yep. And I think that's the thing is, like, you know, we pay for things that either remove stress or... Yep. Know, remove burden from ourselves. I would argue that you know, if you are somebody who you know can can make money, odds are very low that you're going to make more money. Like say you're a successful surgeon or something. Is this really going to be is trying to be not only a successful surgeon but also a successful investment manager? Is that going to be the best use of your time? Mm. I just sort of feel like. Throughout the course of life, we normally outsource various things to other people to allow us to specialize. They specialize yeah. in certain things. We specialize in certain things. And society as a whole grows because of that. Um, so I kind of feel like you know, it's, it's, it's the way things are meant to work. Um, and you're not paying 1% for it. You're paying 0.25% for it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's an argument that I can get into, <laughs> which is why I'm paying people now to do work for me
1: <laughs> i i have one last loaded question for you uh Dan. Excellent. um so uh who came up with tax lost harvesting first, and whose is better, and I think you know who I'm talking about yep uh
2: great question so like. The fun like who genuinely came up with tax loss harvesting first? I have no idea. I think that's like lost in history. Um, large high net worth firms have been doing it for decades. There's a firm called, I believe, Parametric, and another one called Aperio mm. uh, that have been doing it for high net worth individuals. I think you need at least two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars to use their services. They've been doing it for decades. Um, so this is one of those things that I don't know, like cars and like the TV. Um, you know, originally the sort of high net worth, the rich people get it because they can afford it and maybe because it's worth it at their scale. And then we use technology to make it more efficient and it becomes available to the broader population. Um, mm-hmm. So, it might, like, it might be that there's lots of places that have humans doing tax-loss harvesting. We're just one of the first to do it algorithmically. Um, amongst uh, ourselves and they who shall not be named, uh, they who shall not be named, you know, came out with it first. Uh, I think which was very useful. I think that they showed that there was a value to it. Um, It allowed us to sort of think in general about taxes and how we could do taxes more optimally for our customers. And it also gave us kind of like a a straw man or a benchmark to beat, which meant that we could take what they had done and make it even better.
0: Hmm. Cool. I have one more question for both of you guys because I said I would talk about it. Are you Team Cap or Team Iron Man? (laughs) (laughs) someone's gonna give me shit if i don't mention it because i said it in the intro i'm
1: I'm team iron man
0: are you yeah strongly 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 iron man government intervention
1: something something about that guy and you know his robot that helps him it's just it's too cool
0: sorry guys i'm team cap (laughs)
2: And, and they're like you know like i understand it but like cap's a little bit like i don't know like you know, he just had an experiment done on it. He's a great guy, but he had an experiment done on it, right? <laughs> Like, Iron Man's like, dude, I'm smart. I'm going to make shit. You know, like, it's, true. it's, it's it, he really, you know, he made the future. So that's, that's my other favorite Abraham Lincoln quote. Um, the best way to, pr- to, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Mm. Uh, love that.
1: And, and on that note, I think the best way to predict the future, you know, is to create it. I, I think I know the best Christmas gift that you can give your wife, Dan. Um, hair trimmers. <laughs> hair trimmers. Yep.
2: I'm I'm happy that I have a very comfortable couch.
0: <laughs> nice. Don't cut your hair on the couch though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Um, usually we ask guests where they can connect with you. I know they could probably go to Betterment, but I mean, do you have any social media things as well or
2: yeah. Um so you can you can reach me at Dan at betterman dot com or I'm on Twitter at Daniel underscore Egan. Um, and I often go running along the East River uh, park in Manhattan. So you can come and look for a, a, a puffing bearded man running along there.
0: <laughs> Sweet well, you can go stalk Dan. <laughs> I know you can, Andrew. You're close enough. True.
1: I I, I, I will run? say I, I was talk. stalking out all internet things trying to find like anti-tax harvesting, whatever. Or even positive, positive. and uh, I've seen you've made some appearances on random forums. It's like people arguing, and then it's like, "Hi, I'm Dan Egan from Betterman, and this is what I think." Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool.
2: Hey, man! You know, like uh, if you wanna, if you wanna help the discussion, we're probably, you know, obviously we're we're not without our kind of like bias, but we do this stuff professionally every day. We we know a lot about it, so we should probably get in there too.
0: Yeah, makes sense. All right, guys. Well, thank right, you so thank much you for gentlemen. listening. Thank you, Dan. Uh, yeah, check out the show notes over at listenmoneymatters.com slash show. If you want to join our community, you can go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash join and uh, start getting in on the discussion. And uh, I'm sure we'll have lots of arguments and technical stuff being thrown around in the forums there. Uh, lastly, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you can find all of our favorite money management resources. I think that's all we got for you. So guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Later, guys. Later, man.